Professor Dick Sleeves is always holding class. Warm and thick, kicky in the summer, and still with some elements of a more taupe-like breeziness, this Jeb wrench is comfort rated to 20 degrees below. You can call me Professor Dick Sleeves. Were you even recording pre-show? I was. Oh no. I guess it's gonna go on the end. Anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> this three stack of cable knitted scarves reaches 12 feet from end to end, but refuses to be addressed in that way because imperial measurement. We call this range the Fox Lee. I'm comfort rated at 20 above because uh, we, we don't really do negative temperatures here. <laughs> and this box of untouched yarn is the Talon Lee do-it-yourself. Hello, everybody! What are we doing ourselves, exactly? I don't know. What do you do with yarn? I assume you give it to a wizard. Well, I mean, Bubsy is coming back. Hey, Jeb, you been playing any video games lately? Like some kind of criminal? (laughs) Well, um, yes, I have been playing video games, actually. uh, And uh, one I'd like to talk about, in fact, besides the Final Fantasy that I have been playing. Because I've been playing the Final Fantasies, As because it's still Fiesta, and I still have a subscription to Final Fantasy fourteen. Still been playing those. But I got in my uh, inbox the other day a code from the uh, distributor or publisher, I'm not sure exactly who, of a of an independent uh, 3D platformer called Pio. Alright. Okay. And uh, no, uh, she doesn't dance across the sand, but... Uh, what P.O. is, is a very familiar-feeling uh, 3D platformer. Uh, you run around the environment, you do all kinds of fun little <laughs> jumping maneuvers, you jump on things, you collect coins, and you get a thing at the end of the level after you do something. Well, that sounds fine, yeah. This it's, sounds like uh, some high-quality video game. It's, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, as, it's as Mario as they come. Right. But it's kind of charming. It's... It's got this, um, like you're you're sailing, sky sailing on an airship to to do adventures and collect things because, of course, you got to collect things. Yeah, yeah, things, thing collecting is just what you do. Yeah. It's what you do when you're an adventurer. But hey, unlike unlike uh, most Mario games, you can actually play a girl. Hey, kind of embarrassing that that's a like you know. Oh, hey, that's a really great selling point. <laughs> Um, but but really, it's it's surprisingly fun. Uh, the controls are a little buttery, <laughs> but you can get used to it, and it's really forgiving, as I feel a three D platformer should be. Yeah, you can do you can do kind of some ridiculous stuff with wall jumping and triple jumping and back flipping and all that. I haven't tried the really really weird Mario stuff yet. <laughs> Well, like, like there's a into the exactly dimension. yes I haven't right. tried anything like that yet I doubt it no works because this is a cartridge game <laughs> but um uh, I honestly recommend it uh give PO a look uh I, I was given a comp PIO I was given a code for it for the PlayStation 4 it's also available on Steam and Xbox one excellent and what is a PO I think P.O. is the name of the world. Ah, I, I assumed it was going to be the character. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there are two characters. There is a boy and a girl. You can choose. Interestingly, if you're an Australian and you type P.O. into Google, you get the Persons of Indian Origin card. Just one of those what? many things are, uh, yeah. What the hell creepy ass sounding thing is that? Uh, is it as bad as it sounds? It involves Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and the Kashmir Valley. So let's just not talk about it right now. Wowie. Okay. <laughs> uh, P.O., the video game, though. It's good. It's fun. Uh, one of the er- like one of the earliest uh, missions in the first world, you you go to space, and space is always cool because yeah. it has lower gravity. Even when Shadow the Hedgehog's there, oh. we don't talk about Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> Man, I saw the opening to that for the first time ever, like last week. Ah, I've never seen anything that looks so much like a parody of itself. It's it is kind of amazing, yeah. <sighs> Like, See, at least in Sonic Adventure, when they put Sonic in the ostensibly real world with, like, humans and stuff, the humans are all full cartoony and whatnot. Mm. I, and by the point they got to Shadow the Hedgehog that, like, oh, it's like a photorealistic world with photorealistic dust and grime everywhere and photorealistic military methods. Photorealistic edginess. <laughs> Look at Shadow's totally real-looking gun, you guys. Uh, <laughs> holy shit. Uh, it, it was amazing to see... With the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> <laughs> I I hadn't seen much of Shadow the Hedgehog beyond a few short clips, and I just thought the entire premise was ridiculous. Plus, you you all know that I'm the tourist in Sonic territory, <laughs> so it's not like I really had an investment in this. But I'm going to ask a question that may sound foolish. <laughs> Surely, from the perspective of 3D modeling things, populating a world full of dorky, big-headed animal critters is easier than populating a world with humans? Oh, sure, First of all, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, who in the fuck do you think you are? (laughs) I came to the wrong side of the Sonic tracks. (laughs) Uh, sure, but yes. Oh, right, okay. I was saying, I'm, I, I'm, it might be easy, unless they were really lazy and just imported random models from Poser. <laughs> it's true. Actually, yeah, if they had the assets from somewhere else, then that Oof. might be a good reason. Because they sure don't look like they came from a Sonic game. Mm, that's a thought. More than anything, it looks like they just tr- transported Shadow into some kind of 3D shooter thing. <laughs> well, there was a... And this isn't really a theory at this point as much as it is like a rumor that gets repeated enough that you can't be certain it's false. That what Sega were doing, basically, <laughs> post-adventure, was finding their in-house developers who already had mostly completed projects that they thought were doing well, and transferred them over to being Sonic Game. Now, I know that that's what happened... Well, I know that the main source this rumor points to is that's why we have the inexplicable <laughs> Sonic and the Black Knight. Because someone made an action platformer a fantasy game and they were like make it a Sonic game I thought you were going to say Unleashed and Unleashed is the other case study for this uh, I can't say for sure if this is true but if that was the case Shadow the Hedgehog might be that way it's not hard to believe because they obviously lost their way at a certain point and mm. made just a bunch of Sonic games that did not share any kind of comprehensible continuity or theme or mechanics for the most part it goes fast I guess mm. but sometimes faster than other times and sometimes he has to start to pick up a sword or try and kiss a girl. <laughs> and it's always really, really Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, reasonable, reasonable. So, Fox, what are you going to play? 
I, I'm sorry. I've just been playing more Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I, is it still Breath of the Wild? Is it hell? Yeah, okay. And I am in a similar boat where I have mostly been playing more Dungeon Inc. because I've been on buses all week. <laughs> <laughs> I've been running around a lot to do things to follow up for my graduation and potential next year and lots of work stuff. Just the main thing I've had to do video games on is my phone. <laughs> I have, however, made a bunch of games this past two weeks. It's kind of weird. Been very busy. Boy, howdy, did you ever. Uh, on that note, um, I have heard that there was a rumor about a thing that you may have heard of from my uncle who works at Nintendo, who possibly had overheard something from a undisclosed meeting. Video games are absolutely full of nonsense rumors, like, as a culture. And we believe perhaps a little too much of it uncritically. Like, that, that whole thing about the Sonic <laughs> transplanting, that might be bullshit. Well, that's what that's how you described it. Mm, I wanted to make sure I described it as... It's more like a rumor you hear a bunch of times, and it's uh, not difficult to believe is the issue. I think it's more, like it has truthiness. We, we sure like to believe rumors, don't we? We, we accept mm. these things into, into, our, into the, 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 the reality and the history behind games. So fast. It would kind of be nice to have, like, a video game Snopes. Yeah, that'd be really nice. I, like, just to, just to use one off the top of my head, because that really uh, shits me off, uh, people complaining about Dark Souls 2 was, quote-unquote, worse, because Miyazaki didn't directly work on it. And that's just accepted as being, oh, that's just true. And that means that Dark Souls 2 is worse, because it didn't have Miyazaki on it. And Dark Souls 3 was really good because it had Miyazaki working this on it. It's more a way that they can just go, well, Dark Souls 2 doesn't really count. It's just an interesting rumor because, like, yes, we know Miyazaki didn't directly work on... He wasn't the director for that, but that doesn't mean there wasn't, like, a giant cloud of Dark Souls work he'd already done that they were implementing into the into the game. Sure. Mm. Things like the game got made in nine months might have had more to do with the way it came out. <laughs> But that's that's just like Wait, one game is very hit. easy rumor. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> <laughs> I'd like Release to know whether or not... it became a hit. <laughs> I like to know whether or not it's a rumor that Majora's Mask wasn't supposed to be a Zelda originally, because mm. just because I always kind of suspected that it's so weird and different to other Zeldas. Mm-hmm. But you know that might just oh, be nonsense because it's so easy to believe. I'd always I'd always heard that it was that Majora's Mask was uh, a Zelda game made in like. 12 months with the assets from Ocarina of Time. Well, it's obviously got the Ocarina assets. That's yeah. not controversial. But I... But I, I mean, like, it was it was designed... It was made in such a way that, like, oh, wow. Uh, make a sequel to that. You have a month... You have a year. Go. See, also really easy to free. Play. Yeah. And it reuses a ton of stuff, and they... It, like, you could easily say that what's in it is so unzelda ish because they didn't have time to develop it to the point where it would be Zelda-ish and they accidentally made a fantastic game. Yeah. We, like, we I also, think Jeb wouldn't say that, but th now is not the time for that. We also have a giant cultural wall in that it's just very difficult to get completely trustworthy information about what goes on in the game development industry, period, and then to <laughs> add... And from a different culture. Uh, it's well, yeah, and from a different time, too. Like, yeah. for, Japan is not super fond of, uh, I'm going to say, fueling the the hype mill yeah. about games as it is now. Back then, it was like, don't talk about that stuff. Oh, hell, uh, Keiji Inafune made Mega Man. That is super persistent. 
And Keiji Inafune keeps saying it's not true. <laughs> well, I can't blame him in the least, I guess. Yeah, it's not like he's walking around wearing a t-shirt saying, I made Mega Man, white people. No, he's like, no, that's not actually true. It was a team of people. I worked on them from the second one onward. But still, it persists. He gets called that in rundowns of Mighty Number no. 9 that are explicitly dragging the game. There's a very, um, there is a pervasive desire in Western culture, and I'm going to say specifically American culture, to have a single hero figure at the center of things. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Why so many people uncritically approve of auteur theory, even though it's pretty much trash? Eh, auteur theory has its place. Some people oh, are God, more auteurs than others, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> and usually, they're the most insufferable. <laughs> Unless you know the good ones. <laughs> Which is another reason it's believable that Infinite could be an otter, because, you know, he just sort of fits with that. Yeah. But I mean, all that nonsense about, well, you know, it's, it's me, I'm the brat. I mean, at the same time, you could point to... to I mean, he did literally put... He did, he did yeah. literally put his name backwards on the Dead Rising uh, character's uh, yeah. coat. And there's also um, Kojima... Who, does, who falls into the same space where Kojima has this mythical status, like he somehow birthed Metal Gear Solid from his forehead, as opposed to, you know... <laughs> so glad you said forehead. Dozens of... Po- well, that's a, that's Dead Rock. That's the new game. Ah! Uh, uh, Death Standing? God, they do a lot of... Death does a lot of things. Death Rising, Death Standing, <laughs> Death Having a Nap. Oh. Uh, but yeah, um, this this uh, culture of the creator is, is um, kind of persistent, especially when you look at people like David Cage... Sure, yeah, but um, that's what I'm saying. Like, there are definitely uh, some creators who encourage the idea that they are a singular creative entity. Absolutely. Mm. And, and by the way, just to head off criticism, David Cage at least does interesting stuff. I just wish he wouldn't do it the way he does it. Insert fart noise here. <laughs> he does it bad. I feel like the thing David Cage really needs in the world is an actual community of academic and scholarly game developers, and that's the problem. And that right now he's one person, and so he's kind what of like David Cage needs is a person with a rolled up newspaper standing beside him. <laughs> Don't model Ellen Page's hoo-ha. No. I will back the professor on this. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think that I think that's a very legitimate point too. Like. If, if he had, like, a scholarly body of other academic game creators, he would, you know, he might hope, hypothetically be hearing from and talking to them on that level about what he's trying to do, and instead of what you get is this cagey artist as recluse persona he projects to the game press of, like, oh, I made a 20,000-page script, and any academic <laughs> in the world would sit him and goes, fuck off, I have a lot of reading to do. I gave you a word count, mister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh um... Sorry, I lost the thread of that. Anyway. Somehow. It was an important thing. Ah, fucking damn it. There's, of course, my obligatory rubbishing on Ken Levine. Oh, that it's it's probably easier to view your own shit as being visionary and artistic when you're not surrounded by a culture of things that are, mm. you know, talking about that and questioning that and aiming for that. Yeah. As opposed to just, well, anything I come up with looks magic compared to bullshit. And, and then you can look at how an actual legitimately odd recluse creator like Yoko Taro <laughs> uh, intersects. Because part of part of Yoko Taro's culture is Yoko Taro exists in a space where there are people in that level of critical engagement with games working with... I, I just realized I'm avoiding using any pronoun for Yoko Taro, which is really weird. I don't know why I'm doing that. Do, we, we do know, right? I don't know if I know. Because usually... Oh. 
Because usually when you see Yoko Taro, you see him wearing a giant Emil head. That's right. Also, uh, if even if you did know which of those names mm. was his first name, you wouldn't necessarily be sure whether it was a masculine or feminine name in Japanese. Like, yeah. they could scare, I mean, Yoko certainly could go yeah, either way. They, I don't know way, which one it is. That, that's just a weird Sometimes moment. they flip them, sometimes they don't. Just a weird thing of my brain throwing a rod. Sorry, by they, I mean the Western press that filters mm. this shit through to us. And, of course, there's always the persistent rumor about um, older game lore, like, for example, Final Fantasy. I understand Jeb's a, an aficionado of this idea. <laughs> what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the rumor about Final Fantasy? I, 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 well, I haven't heard this. <laughs> <laughs> God fucking damn. I think the professor is having a land of you, Talon. <laughs> no, the rumor is that Final Fantasy was called Final Fantasy because Squaresoft was going to be shut down in N days and they made Final Fantasy as their final hurrah, a last, a last goodbye to the gaming industry. And then it was a surprise hit, and it saved the company from being closed. Well, that sounds really, really inspirational. Yeah. It d- doesn't it? They're basically heroes. Totally the way that Japanese yeah. businesses work. <laughs> it's totally, absolutely <laughs> true, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you're making me imagine the really depressing version of that story, <laughs> which is just, no, we said you were shutting down, you're shutting down. Yeah, we're mortgaging your assets, including the game you just made. <laughs> Sorry, thank you for your hard work. We wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Uh-huh. You're gonna be you're gonna be sold off to A. <laughs> I would like to I would like to, to actually resolve the, the, the rumor about the, the Final Fantasy. Um it turns out the reason why it's called Final Fantasy is because uh Sakaguchi really likes alliteration and he really likes the sound of FF. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. I was just and gonna he guess wanted to call because... it fighting fantasy. <laughs> but Ian Livingston had that brand? That's a I question. don't know the name of the person who has it. Okay. But it is a brand of, like, D&D source books in Britain. <laughs> yeah, that's Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson games. Not quite D&D source books, yeah. but, like, choose your own adventure books for D&D, basically. Yeah. yeah. And they fucking own. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because of those that we have Final Fantasy. And, I guess, technically me. <laughs> that's close to my guess, which was going to be... Because Japanese people naming things in English is basically the same as English people naming things in Japanese. Yes! (laughs) Have fun! Or Latin. Or any other language, but I was using those for symmetry. But yeah, uh, and Star Citizen is a persistent rumor. (laughs) That Star Citizen is going to be released as a persistent rumor. No, no, the the project itself. it's It's something of a myth. We need to stop taking it seriously, guys. Come on. No, people need to stop giving the money. Yeah, absolutely. That too. <laughs> Except on the note of giving the money, uh, a major charter bank in London just gave them a million pounds. Oh boy! Do you know what? And, do you know uh, what the, uh, the 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 they signed off on it though? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Go on, Jim. Oh, this would have been the perfect week to do if this is the answer. What is the question? Yes, one million pounds. <laughs> <laughs> This is a perfect week for Jeopardy. Damn it. Um, is it the collective weight of all three Munchlaxen? <laughs> yes. The, what did the, they put up to get the loan, Jeff? Uh, Robert, Robert, Robert Space Industries took out a million pound. That's what they're called, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Cute. Took out a million pound loan. And they, they, they put up against the loan as, as collateral everything. Everything. It's, uh, it's interesting. 
the hardware, the, the, the software, the source, everything. And here's the thing with this kind of loan. This isn't a matter of like if they can't pay back the, the um, base, the collateral is collected to make up for it. This is if they miss a payment. Huh. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting I feel, then. Yep. I feel sorry when the, these people who spent thousands of dollars on yeah. video game spaceships don't get to play with their video game spaceships. This is not a subscription model, right? Nope. So they've already made most of no. their money. Well, they no, made, no, I mean, uh, they, they've already uh, made most of the money they can expect to make because by now everyone who cares about Star Citizen has oh. already paid for Star Citizen. Yeah. So where the fuck are well, you getting a million dollars There was the Kickstarter. Off? Yeah, and then there was the second Kickstarter, and then there was the reality show. Um... Uh, they're still selling. The they're, well, they're still selling. stroke of genius. They're still they're still pre-selling ships. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they are, but how could there be anyone left who would want it who doesn't already have it at this point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, do they just have a sales chart which is where people have bought it at this kind of rate so far? So we predict they'll continue to, to do that. To be fair, to be fair, if I were to know that Star Citizen would actually exist. <laughs> and actually be a video game I could play sometime, I would totally be down with Star Citizen. Yeah, it, sure, absolutely. It looks like a very Jeb experience. Short of actually bringing it out, is there anything they could do to make you believe that it will come out, though? No. There you go. By the way, one of the things that makes me, as a person who was on news groups in the 1990s, feel the most uncomfortable about <laughs> this is that if Star Citizen fails, Derek Smart was right about something. Who's Derek Smart? Derek Smart is also a rumor about video games. Ah, okay. Yeah, Derek Smart is a one-person development team who basically spent the entirety of the 90s working on a game that did finally come out and was Dece. But the way he he conducted himself on Usenet and other public forums about his game, he's not got a lot of goodwill banked anywhere. (laughs) Uh, is a chittering dickweasel? He's... Look, you said it, not me, but I would agree with I was you. just guessing. Yes. Yeah, Derek Derek Smart, even if he's correct, just is such an asshole. <laughs> just such an asshole. Sure, sure. We actually, uh, we actually bleeped out any references to Derek Smart in earlier podcast episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to do it now? <laughs> no. Fuck him. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> fuck it, yeah. What's he going to do, come after our podcast? Yeah, get at, get at this, Derek Smart. We think you're a bit of a dick. <laughs> I, You know, you, we joke about this, but is he the kind of person who would, like, Google his own name <laughs> to see if anyone was bad-mouthing him 30 years after yes. any of that stuff was relevant? Yeah. Yes, That's he does that. He's so mad about Star Citizen. Uh, there you go. He's... Yes, he's in the same basket as Doug Tenapol. Uh, who's that? Is that the Earthworm Jim guy? That's the Earthworm yeah. Jim guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. That's the that's the guy who made Earthworm Jim and The Strangerhood, and despite that, hasn't got enough goodwill for me to put up with his shitty fucking homophobia. It was a long time ago. Oh yeah, but yeah, rumors, rumors, and facts, facts. Both of them, both of them. Me and Town will take on in a tag team match. <laughs> no holds barred <laughs> this Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! Ooh, actually, I've got one. Yeah? One that drives me fucking crazy. The persistent myth that Tails is really a girl. Oh. Because I want to draw Tails with titties. (laughs) And, you know, you can do that. 
even if Tails isn't secretly a girl, <laughs> no one can actually stop you. So stop fucking saying it. <laughs> I think that there's a you can a even have you can even have t- you can even have Sonic kiss Tails and Tails mm. not be a girl. Oh, no, yeah, I've even tried that. It works. Yeah, no one can stop you. Yeah, with with this whole wing of of fandom, there is this very interesting point where we are effectively dealing with a culture that has these very polished, very final products as a byproduct of this like era of owned identity, owned um ID owned ideology uh which you know uh, has actually been fairly recent like it was actually a fairly recent idea that authors owned their work um in human history in the grand scheme of things yeah 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 it's like 150 200 years old tops i guess a bit longer but the the um this this thing means that we have these products that are coming out which don't have a whole bunch of information in them Sometimes because of original technical limitations, like early console games just didn't have room to explain things. They just had to present you with stuff that you had Story, to... what story? There, go fast, run. And then you wind up with it's this thing. The thing in the manual. Mythology. Yeah. They usually did have a they have more of a story in the manual in those days than they do now. This is one of the things I've really enjoyed about making my own games. Like for some <laughs> games it doesn't matter. But for, like, the dragon's favor, I'm like, and I'm totally going to put in a description of all the clans in the manual. <laughs> totally. No, dude. Like, I, um, Ocarina of Time was the first, well, really the first console game that I bought, shy of, of stuff on the Game Gear, which everything I got was secondhand, so there were no manuals anyway. And I remember looking through the manual and being really disappointed that, like, there was stuff about how you control the characters and stuff. But, like, where's, like, a backstory and, Aww. you know, information about the fantasy kingdoms and the whatnots. And it just wasn't there. Ah, I mean, obviously it's because it's mostly in the games now, and you can find it out if you go looking for it. But still, I don't know. There was this weird transition where it was just like you don't really get info in manuals anymore. Yeah. Hey, so why, ma- once game again, game? Master Magic. Once again, why Master Magic is the greatest video game ever made? Because that motherfucker <laughs> not only had you know your backstory, didn't only have your backstory in the manual, but it had a separate manual for all the magic. It had a fucking spell tome. <laughs> so I was yes. gonna say like special mentions for uh, Arcanum on that uh, yeah. on that ground. I think that thing had four fucking manuals in it. I don't know what they were even for, but there were a lot of books. So, so on the note of Final Fan- of of Fighting Fantasy, right? The the Fighting Fantasy game books. I apologize, the listener, but we're going into books. This is where we. This is what. This is the lot life has chosen for us today. Can I go first? Go on. I was just gonna say there clearly was a bit of lore in the Sonic Two manual, though, because that's how we know. That Tails invented the spin dash. There oh. you go. Oh, Deep nice. Sonic lore for you, tourist in the Sonic universe. I, I, I hope you enjoy it. I feel enriched. <laughs> and, but with the Fighting Fantasy and the spellbook from Masters of Magic, um, the Fighting Fantasy game books culminated in one fairly, I, I hesitate to use this, epic saga uh, across five books called the Sorcery series. Did they have, like, an intended continuity? They had one They had one series that did actually have an intended continuity. Like, for huh. some of them, it was just a matter of, like, a villain from one would show up in another one. There was actually a series, uh, The Warlock of Firetop Mountain was the very first one they did, and then when they had a major shake-up and a new editorial staff, and they got, like, new levels of technology for building their games, they made <laughs> Return to Firetop Mountain, and then they had, later on, again, Curse of Zagor, and that was, like, one little arc of continuity, but you were never playing the same character. <laughs> Fantastic. Awful fantasy adventure. Oh names. yeah, They're I just love, perfect. I love these books. <laughs> they had one series, however, which was five books that were meant to represent the journey of one character, and it was always supposed to be like the same. You were meant to play them in order, and they were called the Sorcery series. And the Sorcery series 
you could play as a fighter and just use the standard rule book in the same way, but you could also play as a wizard. The thing is, if you played as a wizard, the book didn't tell you how to do that. You had to buy another book that <laughs> was a spell book, and the spell book would have like these little three-letter <laughs> codes and a little mathematical formula that you had to do onto game entries to try and cast the spell. <laughs> Shit. And what makes this extra awesome hey, that's cool. was you weren't supposed to look at the spell book after you started playing the book. So you, you had to memorize, to memorize the spells. Well, that's never happening. And that meant that sometimes you'd be a wizard who knew two or three spells, and that was fine. <laughs> but it also meant no, that... No, sorry, you... I find this very objectionable, because if I'm playing a fighter, I do not have to know how to swing an axe. Oh, yeah. This seems very unfair. And there were points in the books where they would note that, oh, you've taken a rest, you can consult your spell book. <laughs> I fucking love these books. That is really cool, yeah. I <laughs> Complaints aside, like if, if that had just been, no, you're a wizard in this one and this is how it works, I would have a lot less to whinge about. That and would I, be just great. Really. You see, I would be the, I would be the great, I would be the great and powerful, I would be the great and powerful uh, sorcerer known far and wide throughout the land as as uh, Sir Rats on Hand. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, the great and powerful Crib Notes. And also, because it never had to present you, didn't have to present you with how the spells worked, you could just look at any given entry and say, <laughs> I wonder what happens if I cast this spell here. And most of the time you'd get a gibberish nonsensical oh, pass and it wouldn't do anything. But sometimes you'd get this situation where there was a there's one you scene know, where turn to page six or whatever. Yeah, where a serpent. Well, what you did is every entry had a little three digit number, <laughs> and you did a formula to that number to yeah. cast that spell in that area. And in one of them, a sea serpent comes up out of the out of a lake in a thunderstorm, and it bellows down at you. And you've got to fight it. And if you're the wizard, and you you have an open spell that just opens things, and if you use open in that. You open the sky. Ah, uh, they stole that from Lou. And the rain sheets down and, and the serpent retreats. I thought you were going to, like, <laughs> lightning bolt it. No, but... By that, opening the sky. But that but that's just, like, a really cool thing that they could just insert into a game book. I really, really like these books. Um, uh, the, the, the greater continuity of sorcery uh, was since upgraded and made into a phone game. And there is now, on the Google Ooh. Store and the iOS Store a game just called Sorcery, and it's those game books turned into a phone game with a degree of simplification <laughs> and modernization. Hey, you go, Jeb, you should totally play that. Um, a lot of reading. A lot of reading kind of game book kind of thing. But uh, I found out that they made it into a, game, into a phone game because the crew from Cool Ghosts, a great YouTube channel about being positive about games and telling dick muppets to fuck off, <laughs> is... Had found out about it, and they were really into it, and they they were like, "This is this is a really great game. I wonder where this came from." Like, I know they'd where never played from, oh, and it's a British property to begin with. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I really love the Final Fan- Fighting Fantasy game. <laughs> it's hard to say it. Now, <laughs> it isn't really it? is. You know, I'm the one, <laughs> I'm the one who likes the Final Fantasy. You like the Fighting <laughs> Fantasy. <laughs> I like two Final Fantasies. I like Lou. Actually, it reminds me of Lou the the, right that the hard mode of that was you just have to remember the notes of the spells. Yeah. You don't get an entry for them. So that's, it's very comparable in that regard, actually. Yeah. Um, the two Final Fantasies that I quite like are five and six. Those are the right ones. Oh, that's a really... Yeah. <laughs> and now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news is spent for the month of July 2016. 
Oh, uh, brought to you by the Ruben Mill, your new book available from Professor Dixley's. One year ago. Just one year ago. So, you know, not... Th this should be reasonably easy to remember. And these things got a lot of hype at the time. So, uh, let's see, uh... Let's see how well they stuck, shall we? <laughs> oh, please. July right. last First year. <laughs> July 2016. First up, we have a twin-stick shooter game developed by Fireforge and published by Activision for Microsoft Windows. What's a twin-stick shooter? Uh, it's a game where you control where your character is and where your character is pointing independently with two sticks. Well, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, let's just shoot. <laughs> I don't play a lot of shooters. Uh, this game had a development cycle of eight months. Ooh. And was notable for having an actor who had recently passed away in it. It's a movie tie-in. Oh, uh, Fast and Furious something or other. No. No? No, not a Fast and the Furious game. Uh, it's four it features four-player co-op gameplay. Nope, not the Expendables. You're, you're thinking very contemporary movies. Think a lot older. A lot older. Um, oh shit, is this a Star Trek one where they made a shooter inexplicably? Jeb got it. Ghostbusters. Hey! Yes, the Ghostbusters game, which featured voice acting by, um, oh my goodness, I've forgotten his name. Uh, Why didn't I recently? The guy who played Egon. Um, oh. Ah, I can't remember. Yeah, that that's sad. Very... I understand they were remembered very fondly. Yeah. Um, yeah, the original Ghostbusters got a game in 2016 as the remake was, like, four months away. Eh. I, I mean, it, it makes sense in a way. Mm. And they never really made a good Ghostbusters game. It they, could have been a good game. They still haven't. Yeah. It could have been. Okay. I didn't say it was. I like the so, one they made, like, in 2010. Sure, sure Professor. <laughs> oh, my bad. That's all I got. What? My bad. I actually, I've actually been quite incorrect here. I was looking at the entry for the 2010 game. <gasps> this 2016 video game is actually for the 2016 movie. Oh. I had my timeline wrong. Oh. This goes to show how incredibly forgettable the 2016 game is. Yeah, I do not have high hopes for this. I didn't really realize there it was out. a 2016 Ghostbusters game. we were doing about the movie. Yep, 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 yep. Well, let's do a quick guess. It's aggregate score, rounding to the yeah. nearest 10. Uh, 40-something. Fox is wrong. What do you got, Jeff? More or less. Wrong. 30! Wow. You gotta work to get a 30. Ooh, you gotta work to get a 30. All right. Yikes. Next up, we have... Whew, a, oh, I love this. I love this so much. We have a very thoughtful, introspective, uh, American culture point-and-click video game released uh, a chapter. Does Jeb love it? Jeb loves it. Um, but, crucially, the Wikipedia page has no information about this entry in the series. It just simply says, Kentucky this Route section Zero needs expansion. Okay. Yeah. Kentucky Route Zero Act, which has no one's written about it on Wikipedia <laughs> since July. Ah, huh. how interesting. It exists. I kind of love that. My yeah, I, I, guess there's, I guess there's less and less to say about the series as it goes on without just starting to run down plot details and you probably don't want to do that? Well, I haven't played I Act really 4 because my first yeah. three acts that I played through were on the first computer that exploded since I started this podcast. Oh. Yeah. Oh no. And I have not had the right. desire to replay the game in its entirety I because see. I don't know if I'll have the same experiences a second time around. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> 
Wow, that's hard. Yeah, I I can totally understand that. That's yeah, yeah. Chaos Zero is a very interesting, difficult piece to experience. In my like, I've started on the second chapter and I just got stuck. Not because I didn't want, not because I couldn't work out what to do, because I just didn't want to move anywhere. I just wanted to sit there and listen. So that's probably a sign that, <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have a puzzle video game by an independent developer where you play a computer hacker armed with a top of the line hacking deck, outdated, outfitted with a 56.6k modem and a staggering 256k of RAM. <laughs> um, this, I should know this. This is the explicitly 90s cyberpunk hacky one. The one where you there's two characters and you're directing one of them. No, no, no that that was clandestine and Jeb and I played the shit out of That's that. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> it, is it overtly nineties? Am I remembering that? The writers thing. It is very nineties. You got a flannel on. Yeah, yeah. I believe the way Jeb described it in his review was it's the best PS2 game that never came out. <laughs> yep. Okay, so it's not that then. This is a single developer game. He has made a bunch of other games. Uh, he's more likely Jeb knows him than Fox, though. That's a pretty safe bet for indies. Yeah, true. Um, the uh, It's a pretty safe bet for developers in general, probably. The game shares a universe with their previous games. Um, it's a first-person perspective game. Keep going. Okay, uh, it's titled... <laughs> its title includes 20th Century Cyberpunk. Holy shit, this is on the id Tech 4 engine? Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, okay, this is a game by Brendan Chung. It's part of Blendo Games. Oh, no, I have heard of this one. The, yeah. This is a continuity that's going, been going for like a million forevers. Yes. <laughs> Since he's like first Quake mods. And like you're like a spy with a jetpack on a train or something. That's one of them. One of the, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's called, though. I never yeah. did. I don't think I played any of them or even I had never heard of any of them at the point where someone did this retrospective where it was like, hey, this, this guy made a Chatillion game. Yep. Uh, including <laughs> Gravity Bone and 30 Flights of Loving. <laughs> oh yeah I, this I is yeah. this yep. is quadrilateral cowboy yes it is <laughs> thanks for saving that one all you had to do is say 30 all you had to do was say 30 flights of loving <laughs> look into the history of blendo games sometime the listener it's fucking fascinating it features an orange they, the, those games game are at one point <laughs> the, the, these games are something else yeah. <laughs> now see that's all that is, that is all i can say yeah. All right. You're Ooh, either gonna you're, if you play them, you're either going to adore these games or despise them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty good. Like uh, you know, as a developer, that's sort of the goal. Like lukewarm ain't gonna do much for you. Mm. All right. Next up, we have a game that also has a touch of the auteur to it. In this case, it was created by a developer who was diagnosed at a very young age with congenital heart disease. That dragon cancer? And has spent most of... Well... No. Uh, and has spent most of his life in and out of hospital for digestive and immuno-related uh, conditions connected to congenital heart disease. The game is really vividly colourful, had an incredibly successful Kickstarter, um, but the game that was made with all that money was ultimately a very difficult game with a central theme of living with the inevitability oh. of death. Oh. And it doesn't look like that when you buy it. Ah, that's difficult. Mmm. The developer considers it a combination of The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, and Diablo. It I feel like a... I should know this too. Yeah, it's got a great name. It was originally going to be funded for $27,000. It made $600,000. Uh, I don't have the name. Who did, for example, music. Yeah. 
Wonderful pixel art aesthetic. Beautiful, bright neon cyberpunk colours. Top-down camera. Is it Hyperlight Drifter? Hyperlight Drifter. It is, okay, yeah. Yep. Really? I'm like, yeah, I think I detect those themes in that game. I remember it having a hell of a downer ending. That black dog that's always around. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, Hyperlight Drifter is ultimately a game about trying to live in a, in a complicated in a complicated and hostile world while you have a terminal condition. Yeah. <laughs> but games aren't art. <laughs> nah. I say it's about it. I heard it was like Dark Souls. Yeah, that's exactly what everyone would say. <laughs> you can say it's about things. That's okay to say. Mm. Like, that doesn't preclude it from being about other things, and mm-hmm. it doesn't state that one interpretation is valid over all others. But. Mm-hmm. Like, authorial intent isn't nothing. The other major sources the author cited for the world and structure was Castle in the Sky and Nauska Valley of the Wind. Yeah, I definitely got that in the mm-hmm. environment design. Next up, we have a those. game that almost... <laughs> Holy fuck, Jeb! <laughs> we all come to Ghibli in our own time. But next up, oh, wow. we have a tactical role-playing video game, which was, by all accounts, quite competent, but notable mostly for, at one point, getting the attention of one of the true villains of the video game industry. No, not yet. Jeb, have you at least seen Totoro? No. Like, you gotta watch that. That's my people. <laughs> 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 Damn, man. I'll at least send you some gifs or some shit. Totoro is a very pastoral, very sweet Totoro might as well not have a story. It's just it's just about watching the monster. And hanging around with this lovely family in a really yes. nice yes. Uh, pastoral Japanese rural setting. In fact, they sort of do a story in the second half, because they're like, oh, we better do something. But it's it's better without, really. Yep. Anyway, we have a game that is notable for being quite competent and good. It was crowdfunded, but it was also, at one point, in Satellite the target Rain? lens of one of the true villains. No, not Satellite Rain. Targeted by one of the true villains of the video game video industry. Industry, yes. Uh, Konami? No, no, no. Worse, Good guess though. Worse than Konami? Nah. Mm-hmm. Sierra? <laughs> no, not Sierra. Sierra not Sierra's true. dead, right? Sierra, we're not suing. Are we talking like we? Are we talking like oh. ad, like like villains as in nobody likes them, or villains as in as in utter dickholes of people? Utter dickholes. Right. These these people. Uh, at one point, copyrighted a word. It's gotta be, yeah, a company, right? Mm-hmm. Not a, um, is this, no, that. They tried. Villains versus villains. They tried to sue. Oh, it's fucking Zynga. No. It's, no? King. King. What's King? Candy Crush Saga. Oh, I thought that was. No, that's Okay, I was King. thinking of the right word. Though. Sorry. This is Banner yeah, Saga You can't have Saga, that belongs to us now. No yeah. one tell the Vikings. Yeah. Banner Saga 2 came out last year. Got... Nines out of tens, consistently. If you liked Banner Saga, here is more of the Banner Saga. I have to imagine that when, who'd you say, King yeah. is their name, uh, brought this to their lawyers, they were like, you said it's called Banner Saga 2, right? <laughs> Do, you didn't call me when it was Banner Saga 1. <laughs> okay, you're I'm on retainer, but <laughs> I need you to understand that I will take your money for as long as you want, but no. <laughs> Uh, notably, Banner Saga 2 also helped, came out shortly after they ran a Kickstarter for the third and final part of the game, Banner Saga 3, which made double its Kickstarter goal. So it will probably be, you know, exactly as good as previous. <laughs> I understand Banner Saga was very good at being what it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. If you wanted that particular mm-hmm. era of Norse sadness. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. 
if you want, uh, if you want a we game a... with breathtakingly gorgeous animation, oh my god! Mm. <laughs> if you like Fire Emblem, but only the version where you do tragically kill a bunch of characters along the way, <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> I play Perfect Destiny Fire Emblem. All my friends will live forever. Next up, we have an action shoot 'em up video game developed and published by an indie studio, The Game Bakers, which was available for download on Windows, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Taking place in a colorful retro sci fi universe, it has no screenshots or visuals on Wikipedia. Is this because someone was a dick about it, or is this just coincidental? I genuinely don't know. Don't know. Okay. Uh, it's a unforgiving. What's it on? Uh, the environment is. It's on the PlayStation, Xbox Online, and um, Windows. Is it? It got good scores. Pixel? No, no, not they lead pixels. No, uh, this game has a four-letter name. Is it? No, that's five letters. Damn. Yeah. Fury. <laughs> You're like, is it just bleed? Fury. <laughs> I can't tell you anything useful about Fury or reactions to Fury beyond what the critics did, and according to the Wikipedia site, it was a solid seven of ten. I understand I understand that it's like a rhythm shooter. That yeah. could be cool. Like it's got a nice aesthetic, it's just it looks kind of like a hyperlight drifter fan game, which isn't <laughs> a good place to be right now. Isn't it? I mean mm. Hyperlight Drifter looks great. Fury is mm. like, like Fury is a is a one V one game. Yeah. Oh. It's competitive. Not it's a series of arena battles. Sort of- no, no, no. I mean like you go up against the uh like it's just basically a series of boss fights. It's not exploration oh, during, okay. like, that's my knowledge. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm down with that. I've seen a speedrun of it on a GDQ, and it looked like oh, it was... is it a 3D thing? Yeah. Yeah, I think I see it, and you're all playing, like, weird superheroes, or possibly... Yeah, vomiting hybrid neon mecha everywhere. type thing, yeah. Yeah. Next up, we neon have... Neon ninjas. A game... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Next up, we have a game so successful, it disrupted the stock market for a day. <laughs> uh, One year ago. Well... Well, yeah, I mean, it's is it not Pokemon Go? It's Pokemon, it's Pokemon Go. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's fine. That it's happened good. for a week. The thing, I love, the thing I love about that is that what happened was American investors plowed money into Nintendo's Oh my god, Nintendo wing. is so hot right now. Nintendo was like, no, 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 no. And that led to Indian and Chinese investors being like, oh, Americans are plowing into Nintendo. They must <laughs> know something Christ. we don't. They sloughed money into it. And then Nintendo put out a statement going, you know that's not us, right? And then all these American investors were like, uh, can we get a take backsies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. just in case you thought the stock market wasn't ridiculous, play pretend. Yeah, and then all the Indian investors and the Chinese investors were like, oh, 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 yeah, well, we were just doing what the Americans were doing because we thought they knew something we didn't. Oops. Really, really weird. <laughs> really, really weird. As for how the game holds up, I know, catching Pokemon is pretty fun. The battles are nonsense. <laughs> They released an update this week where they added raid battles, which is just the battle system, but you need to wait until there's lots of people around to do it. So you sure shit can't do it on a bus trip. Yeah. Um, on the other of all hand, the things they should have expected. Plus everyone's doing it, playing it on the same bus. It's the lame part. <laughs> like, this is the Pokemon Go party bus. Only if the bus breaks down because you got to stay with the gym. Oh, you could hire a vehicle to do it. Like, let's all drive around <laughs> town and, oh my god, go gangs. I want to do this now. <laughs> <laughs> Get in, loser. We're going raiding. <laughs> also, Valorantath! <laughs> so, next up, we have, again, auteur style, <laughs> a video game that was described by someone on this podcast as Cronenbergian. <laughs> I can't even know what the fuck that means. Yeah, so it wasn't you. 
I think we all knew it wasn't me. Uh, yes, this is a puzzle platform adventure video game, and it's a year old now. <laughs> so, uh, what's Cronenberg? That I've played. Cronenberg is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could have been Talon, to be fair. He, didn't, he specified someone on the podcast, and we all know it's not me. It could be him. Yeah. Uh, this game originally premiered in 2014 when planned released in 2015, and it just kept on getting bumped because of hardware market reasons, apparently. Uh, Microsoft were kept, kept on saying, look, if you delay it N, it'll be able to be on the Xbox One, and that'll be a fancy thing, and then they bumped that, and they bumped that. So this game actually was apparently done almost two years ago, and wasn't released until last year. Uh, 2.5D Skyscroller game, modeled uh, visually, well, thematically and visually expanding upon oh, oh my god I for- yeah this is inside yes it's inside see what i mean like oh one year god. ago and- <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard of it <laughs> except what? obviously we talked about it on the podcast was i even here yeah you were was totally I- here. are you sure i wasn't like distracted by a snack or something i, <laughs> I have no recollection this was one of the games that i talked it's one of the games i talked about as uh when we when we wrapped up last year because I, I didn't play it t- t- towards the end of the last year. Um, Inside is dark. <laughs> it's it's, it's Cronenbergian. <laughs> it's so good, but oh my god, it will it's unsettling. Like y- yeah. you have to like you have to be okay with a game with pretty intense body horror ish stuff. Yeah. It's a game about uncomfortable meat. Yeah. That, it, wow, that's a very direct way to describe it. Thank you. It's an accurate way to describe it. This is a, this is a re-relaunch of a sequel to one of the goriest car games of the 90s. They made a Carmageddon sequel? They made four Carmageddon sequels. Holy shit. Last year, Carmageddon Max Damage, which was an updated version of Carmageddon, complete with a physical disc, um... <laughs> It, it it vanished without a trace. It, it was this the was this was this the relaunch of the Kickstarter game? Yep. We don't really hurt for sandbox shit posting these days. Yep. So. I've heard that the relaunched version of the new Carmageddon game is quite good, really satisfying. Hmm. But sadly, it's just you know blip on the radar. And finally, a phone and tablet game that was released purely to get people to be hyped for another later game. Fallout Shelter? Yes! Hey! That, Fallout Shelter! Oh, is this when Fallout Shelter came out on, like, consoles and and PC? Uh, yeah. It was the re-release okay. of Fallout Shelter to Windows. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, I don't know why you'd do that, but hey, you know, if they did, good for you. Uh, because Bethesda has a launcher yeah. now, and they're like, you know what? Maybe people want to, maybe people want to idle and just, you know, fire up Fallout. Like, I could be playing Fallout Shelter right now. Actually, yeah, that. it occurs to me. I totally wouldn't mind that. <laughs> like, pop that alongside your word processor yeah. or whatever. You would absolutely do that. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, said, huh? David, just click get right now. Third highest grossing game in the iOS App Store, and by <laughs> two weeks after release in 2015, Fallout Shelter had earned. Five million in microtransaction sales. <laughs> Your average user didn't buy anything. <laughs> well, that's how microtransaction games work, right? Uh-huh. Yep. And that's it. That's just ten games that are all a year older. <laughs> a year older. Uh, but yeah, ten games that came I like, out. I like Fallout Shelter a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's other stuff that came out last year around the same time, like Batman Arkham Underworld. 
for example. Wait. Monster Hunter Generations, um, I Am Setsuna, Sword Coast Legends, Starbound got its final, you know, actual release after a long time in early access. Uh, can I say um, something real quick about I Am, Sets- I Am Setsuna? Please, go for it. I Am Setsuna looks and sounds wonderful. It has, like, this entirely just piano soundtrack. It's amazing. Ooh. I wouldn't recommend really playing yeah. it. <laughs> I don't trust I Am Setsuna, because in its advertising copy, it refers to its own story as heartbreaking, like, four times. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. That just makes me very nervous. <laughs> that sounds like a translation mistake. Yeah. Not an error, a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that was 10 games from 2016. One year old. Some of them completely forgotten. Some of them enduring. Some of them, now we want to come back to. <laughs> some of them might be anyway, stalling some right of them now. still playing now. And by we, I mean me. Anyway, that was the Downloadable Concept Podcast for this week. Thank you very much uh, for all your support on Patreon, the listener. We greatly appreciate it. And thanks to you, we get to do some of the cool stuff we've been doing lately. Uh, as ever always, that was Jeb. That was Fox. Don't call him that. It's Professor Dixley's. <laughs> God, Talon, you should know this by now. <laughs> Bye! <laughs>